Man, I want you to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. One last thing that, that I want to hit. Uh, next week, we're going to be having uh, a, a series of services that we're calling A Deeper Life. A mentor of mine came in last year, and uh, our staff went off-site, and Mike, Dr. Mike Avery took us through, it's, a, it's an incredible time, uh, just called Deeper Life, Seeking God, and it was such a powerful time, man. Our staff uh, grew through this. It was so beneficial. I asked if he'd come back and do it for the entire congregation. He's going to do that, so he will be speaking here next Sunday morning, and then we're going we're gonna to do something we haven't done this for a while, but on Monday night... At 6.30, uh, we'll be having another session on Tuesday morning. All you got to do is remember 6.30. Tuesday morning at 6.30, Tuesday night at 6.30, Wednesday morning at 6.30, Wednesday night at 6.30. It's, it's begin your day with God, end your day with God. And so it's going to be a time in which we're just, man, we're, we're, it's going to be a time of prayer and praise and, and just talking about what it means to, uh, to go deeper with Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, like, in fact, if you're like, man, you know, I got to be at work at eight or whatever, I get that. You know, you can leave at any time. In fact, even when the, the, the sessions are over, we're going to keep the sanctuary open for those that want to stay and pray. But I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us as we seek his face over the next little bit. Now, we're in this series, uh, Judges, and, and uh, man, somebody told me last week, he was like, man, I didn't know there was so much crazy stuff in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, it's right here, right here. And, and today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, we're, we're going to look at Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. Judges 4 kind of tells a story. Judges 5 gives some context behind the scenes what is going on. And so there are going to be four people that I just want you to watch out for, some names. Uh, Deborah, who's a prophetess and a judge. There is uh, a guy by the name of Barak, who's the commander of 10,000 uh, soldiers. We have uh, Jael. She's a non-Israelite lady uh, who is probably one of the most unlikely deliverers that you would have ever thought about. And then we've got, there always has to be a bad guy. There's a guy by the name of Sisera, who is the commander of King Jabin's army. And so we pick up our reading. Uh, we, we, last week, we were looking at King Ehud, or, or Judge Ehud, what he did. And at the, at the end of, of, chapter, of Judges chapter 3, we see see that, uh, that the land had rest for a little bit, but here's what we see. Here's, here's, in fact, it said the land had rest for 80 years, but here's what we read in chapter 4, verse 1. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. By the way, I'm going to be talking about, uh, like I'm going to be pronouncing some names and I am with confidence going to say these names. Like, you don't make fun of me because you can't pronounce it any better. I'm just, what I say, it's going to go today. Like, you're like, I've studied Hebrew. That's wrong. Like, I'm saying it with an English accent. When Edgar preaches, he's going to say it with a Spanish accent. So we're just all into this. So here we go. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Real quick, I said this in the, in the first uh, message of the series. When it emphasizes these chariots of iron, you see this emphasized in Joshua and in Judges. Like when it comes to military technology, they're on the cutting edge, and they're very effective, and they're especially significant. You don't see them taking chariots of iron up into the mountains, but they're especially effective in the plain because, you know, as a worn out soldier is fighting, like, like you're no match 
for the, these uh, chariots that come through. They'll cut down uh, soldiers that are going that are running, I'm, I'm telling you, 900 chariots can beat 10,000 men every single time, okay? And it's important that we acknowledge that as we continue to read. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand? Long question. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went, men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. And then you get this weird verse, like we've got this story going, and then you get this weird verse, verse 11, that seems like it's way out of context. Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in, Z- in Z- Zananim, I told you, I'm a, whew, which is near Kadesh. Okay, so real, real quick, let me pause. This seems like a random detail. Like, okay, so we've got Deborah, Barak, the impending battle, and all this sort of thing. And then the author of judges of the story is kind of digressing to talk about some dude that's not getting around along with his family. So he's like, I'm going to take my trailer and I'm going to park in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to be, nobody's going to be around me. And it's like, what a random detail. Hold on to this though, because it's going to matter later down the road. Okay. So it just seems random, but it's not, I promise. Meanwhile, back to the story. In verse 12, Deborah directs Barak and the army down to a region at the base of, of Mount Tabor. There, there was a river basin that's there at the foot of, of Mount Tabor, and that's important too, as you're gonna see. We'll pick up a reading in verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Hold on a second. Why would Sisera, who has a massive military advantage with these chariots, jump out of his chariot and take off running? Well, this is why we gotta have a little context of, of, of Judges chapter five. Judges chapter four is a story. Judges chapter five gives us some context. What we read in chapter five is that God sent a sudden rainstorm and the river flooded and that meant that Sisera's 900 chariots of iron got stuck in the mud. Now, hold on a second, you gotta, you gotta think about this. Like, like, if you only read chapter four and you don't pay attention to chapter five, you're gonna miss this detail. Now, there's, there's something interesting about the, the weather patterns in Israel and in, in what would have been Canaan. So from, uh, let's see, from October to like the middle of April, it's, it's the rainy season. From middle of April, end of April to September, it's dry 
and hot season. And so like they have two seasons, not like Idaho, which has like 92 seasons. Like they've got two seasons, two seasons. Now, this is where it's so good to read all of scripture because you get all these details that make sense. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse one, it's gonna detail what David and this affair that he had with, uh, with uh, Bathsheba. But it says that in the spring of the year, when kings go out to fight, David stayed at home. But it does give us something that matters here, that kings did not fight during rainy season. They would go out to fight. They would leave for battle probably sometime middle of April, from what we know from history, middle of April, end of April. And the battles would be fought in May, June, July, August primarily. You would come home uh, towards the end of September to get ready for rainy season. Cicero would not have fought these guys during rainy season. This is why we, we miss God's miracle if we don't understand the context of what's going on. This is actually a pretty cool thing because a, a rainstorm for, and we don't know exactly what month it was, but a, rain, a, a rainstorm in July there is, would, would be just as crazy as, as snow, you know, here in Idaho in July, which actually that probably happens. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. But, but what we know is that God does a miracle. He turns Sisera's advantage into dead weight. And so that's why Sisera has to jump out. He's on the run. Where's he running? Oh, now we're coming up. Makes sense where this verse was. It says that Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, who's the wife of that guy that we read about in verse 11, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Now, I want you to remember, it seems random that Heber takes his tent to the middle of nowhere. And yet, I can tell you this, there are times when you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, what you say is the middle of nowhere is always somewhere to God. Like God knows exactly what, his, what he's doing. And so he, he, he runs to this tent and there's a, there's a lady there, she's, she's not an Israelite, JL. JL came out to meet sister and said, said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So, so she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him and read him a bedtime story and rocked him. <laughs> now, now verse 20, it says that he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say No. Okay, Jael's an interesting lady. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him. He is out. She drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Don't, I don't think that you need to actually put that last sentence there. Like, we get it. <laughs> she walks out like, nailed it. No, no, no. Like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Ah, okay, sometimes you keep my mouth shut, that's good. Um, but anyway, we get, we get to verse 23, and then God uses this. God uses this, on that day, God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan, who has brutally enslaved Israelites for 20 years. He subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. It says that God subdued, God got the glory. Deborah said, hey, if you do this, you're not gonna get the glory. God got the glory, not Deborah, not Barak. Not JL, God did this. There are some things we're gonna look at that we can learn from this. 
And the first thing that, that we're going to look at is, I mean, there's a lot of things that stand out here. I can go a lot of different directions, but I'm, I'm, I want to, first of all, look at the, some of these characters. The first person I want to look at is, is Deborah. Deborah is a prophetess. She's a judge. We know that she is speaking the word of God. When she came to Barak, she spoke the word of God to him. Uh, she said, the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you. We know that she's judging Israel. People are coming to her. Um, she's settling disputes, social, uh, social civil, uh, relational cases, I'm sure. But, but what we see is that, that she is a wise counselor, and we're going to see in, in chapter 5 that she, there's a name in this, the song that's in chapter 5, she's a mother in Israel. She's an influential lady. She is a leader. Now, I'm going to hit something that is very controversial, okay? We're just going to dive in because I, I, I want to hit, hit something that I think is important. God has a role for every single person to play in his kingdom. You believe that? In some areas, there's this idea that says, teach the men the deep and the rich theology and let women just handle the things of the home. Pinterest, Oprah, matching the pillows to the curtains. Well, that sounds great. No, it's just not biblical. The first thing that I want you to write down that we see here is that God uses strong, faithful women for his sovereign purposes. God uses strong, faithful women for his sovereign purposes. Within the church, there are two extreme positions that I, wanna, I just want to take the opportunity to speak to, not because I want to, because honestly, it'd be a lot easier just to keep people guessing. But I actually think if we're going to hit this, let's hit this. And I'm, I'm not going to get into this in a full, deep, th there's a lot more to this, but there, there are two false assumptions that I, that I want to speak to. The first thing is this, that women are only used by God when men don't step up. And that's just not true. God is always calling and using strong, faithful women. I've heard people preach from this passage and they said, well, the only reason Deborah was a judge was because there was no man to step up. Here's the deal. It doesn't say that in scripture. Quit putting stuff in scripture that's not there. One thing that has helped me in, in stability and in consistency in my life, and guys, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. This is just something that I've learned and I want to pass on to you what I've learned. It's just helped me is to live a life that is guided by and is subject to the word of God. I literally want the word of God to provide the guardrails. Because if, if, we're, if we're going with culture, we're going with whoever speaks most persuasively, we're going to be all over the road. I've learned what brings stability is just living in response to scripture. It's, it's a, man, God's given us a roadmap, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I'm thankful for it. But there's a difference between understanding scripture and overstanding scripture. Understanding scripture is where we, we bring who we are. We live our lives underneath the authority of the word of God. We allow the word of God to speak. Overstanding scripture is where we take our theological positions and we try to get proof texts to support what we want to believe. That's overstanding scripture. Overstanding scripture 
will, will send you down a wrong path. It's understanding scripture that's most important. Now listen, there are, there are some things that are very clear in scripture, dogma that we need to hold on to with both hands. There are, there are doctrines that have come. There are different interpretations where we might not see the eye uh, with everyone. There are some things we need to give grace. But where, where scripture speaks clearly, we, we just need to respond to the clarity of scripture. And so I want us to first see Deborah is a respected judge as well as a prophetess. And I want to say something, even as you study the New Testament, you study through all the spiritual gifts, I want to say this and then I want to explain this. God gives women every spiritual gift that he gives men. There is no qualification to the giving of spiritual gifts. There is qualification given to the context at times in which those spiritual gifts are used. And we, again, we have to just acknowledge this. But what I want us to make sure that we understand is it's for sure not the case here at Grace. Women aren't second-class citizens expected to only memorize and study uh, Proverbs 31 and the part in Ephesians 5 that talks about submitting to your husbands. Like, like no, women, listen to me. You are going to give an account to God for the fact that you studied the whole counsel of the Word of God and that you lived in response to it. Now, I didn't marry a weak woman, and I'm not raising a weak daughter. Within the church, boy, do you feel how quiet it is? Like, it hasn't been this quiet in here forever. With, 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 within the church, women are going to be used by God for his sovereign purposes. Now, there's another extreme position, though, that I want to hit, and I want to speak to this false assumption, and that's the biblical gender distinctions don't matter, that anything men can do, women can do probably better. Now listen, many things women, you do a lot better than us guys, and we need to figure that out. But this account challenges that false assumption as well. When, first of all, when Deborah is introduced, she's not just introduced by what she does, she's introduced by who she is. She's the wife of Lapidoth. We don't know anything about Lapidoth, but what it acknowledges is that, that she is the husband of Lapidoth. He is, he is the, the leader of the home. There is, it's, it's, the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew way of, of saying that she has an identity in a home led by her husband because that's the role that God had given Lapidoth to play. He's one responsible for his home. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have responsibilities. It means that ultimately, though, he has that responsibility. I think it's also important to note that in the Old Testament, there are three primary offices that, that, are, that, that are presented. There's the office of prophet, priest, and king. Well, we know that she's a prophetess. We also know that the prophet Isaiah has a wife who's also a prophetess. We know even in the New Testament that there are those who are uh, women who are called prophetess. So, so women fulfill that role. Um, we know that Deborah has authority. In fact, what you'll see in, in the book of Ruth, you'll see this also in, in 1 Samuel, that the judges, they're called the rulers of Israel. So there is civil authority that, that she has. But I think it's important that we acknowledge, though, that there's one role that, that women don't have in the Old Testament, and that is that of priest. Dude, I'm going to tell you, I can feel the... <laughs> so like every once in a while, I'll get, I'll get emails 
tell, tell me, hey, we're leaving the church because you had a female pray or you had women do that. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, some of our strongest leaders here at Grace Bible Church are women. We have women serving on the church board. We have women that, that lead in a variety of, of areas. And, 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 and again, I want to be guided by Scripture. A lot of times they use a proof text, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2.11. Well, Pastor Keith, don't you know that women are supposed to, to be, uh, they're, gonna, they're supposed to learn quietly with all submissiveness? Like, yeah, I know that verse. But I, I appreciate the context of Scripture. We measure Scripture with Scripture. We balance things together. And, and, and so what you got to understand is Paul and, and Timothy, he's writing to him for how, how you're setting up the church, what, what your role is uh, for elders. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you need to keep on reading because it's not one verse you can use a proof text and take out a, of context. He's taking this specifically. He, he's, he's, he's saying specifically very clearly that women should not serve in the role of elder within a church. They teach, they prophesy, they have every spiritual gift, just not within the capacity of elders. It's interesting when we look at Deborah's account, Deborah is the only judge that you're going to find that did not lead her troops in, into battle. There were some things that, that, that we see here, but for me, this is a very significant thing that we need to look at. And so I think it's better for us to, to say that everything a man who isn't an elder can do, a woman can do. And I'm very thankful for those strong women that are being used by God for the, for the glory of the kingdom. My prayer is that my daughter is going to be raised, she's going to be a Deborah. And I pray that for every one of you. But there's this false dichotomy that I just want to speak to you. You just need to know where I stand. I don't like hitting this, but man, we just need... I just don't want there to be any questions. We got to, let's speak to this false economy that, that either there's no distinction of roles at all or that we have to believe that the women have to be suppressed or diminished in some way. That's just simply not true. The Bible teaches equality of position, equality of giftedness, but there are distinctive roles. That's, it's in Scripture. And, and, and so, like, on both sides, we have our arguments. Well, no, it, need, it needs to be this. Well, don't read into Scripture. But another say, well, it's just, you know, cultural thing. And listen, that's why I give grace when it comes to some of these areas. I just, I do. Like, I have very good friends who totally disagree with me on this. But I, I want to be faithful to the word here. And so I would just say this, women, three things I want to say to you. And then I'm going to move on, and you guys can say amen again. Women, listen to me. Number one, God has a calling on your life just as he does men. Accept that calling. Number two, you are a leader with spiritual responsibility. Embrace it. Number three, I wrote these down so I wouldn't say I'm wrong. You can lead while still respecting God's order. Do it. Now let's talk about Barak for a while. I, gotta, I, I actually have to repent or confess. So last week, I threw a little shade at Barak. And if you were here, you know what I was talking about. I said, he's kind of a weak, cowardly little dude. And I actually, uh, I, I've read through that and I just kind of assumed that. But as I studied, again, I don't want to make up things that aren't in scripture. There is nothing in scripture that says he was a weak, cowardly guy. In fact, I've read when, when Deborah came to, to him and said, 
You know, uh, you're, you're not going to get the glory. A woman's going to get the glory. Man, a lot of just skimming through that, I'm like, well, that's kind of a rebuke because he asked for her to go with him. No, he's a smart dude. He, he knows she is, th- there's a reason why she is the counselor, why people are coming to hear. She has an intuition that he doesn't have. He is not a coward. He took 10,000 guys on a kamikaze mission into the face of 900 chariots. I'm telling you, he wasn't a coward. So let's, like, Barrick, if you're looking down, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Like, I got your back on this. Like, I, I want to come back and make it right. But, but there is something to be said because when, when Deborah says what, he, what, she, what she says to him, it's not a rebuke. She was just making sure. I'm convinced, as I, the more I've studied this, like, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. You're not going to get the glory for this. God's going to get the glory for this. You're not going to be the one who ultimately kills Sisera. Somebody else is going to do this. You just do what God's called you to do. And you know what? Barak did what God called him to do. And that's why in chapter five, he's not a wimp because the song that's sung is the song of Deborah and Barak. They sing it together. They're both, they're both affirmed here. So I got to give him his props. So th- this is where I, w- I want to look at ch- chapter five for the time that we have left to, to make sure that we're on the same page when we, when we dig into this. So what, what we see is that, man, Israel, they're in a bad place. You look at verses six and seven, they can't even travel or live in safety because of, of what's going on. They live in fear. Deborah stands up as a mother in Israel. She saw the problem, but she wasn't a warrior. In fact, it's the guys that went to battle. In fact, verses one and nine of chapter five affirm the commanders of Israel who offered themselves up to fight. I love this line. It says that the people praised the Lord. God was glorified through their leadership. You keep on reading verses 13 through 15. They, they actually affirm the Israelite men who marched to fight. But look at the end of verse 15 going into to verse 16. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? And it says it again. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. You're like, okay, so what's the deal? What, what, what they're saying is when it was time to fight, there's some people that said, oh, I don't know that we're just called to this. I don't think we're going to be part of this. And so there's something else I want to point out. And the first thing you got to know, if, if you know me at all, you, you'll know this. First of all, I'm not a person that's like, oh, let's affirm and, and prop up the ladies and then let's beat the guys over the head with a baseball bat. That's not what I'm about. But I do think there's something I need, to, I need to point out. A great temptation of men is not to do evil, but to do nothing. And I'm saying this like me too. There, there are a lot of times that we stay by the ships when we should be in the fight. There, there are guys who at times struggle with Adam's, one of Adam's sins that we see in Genesis chapter 3, and that is the sin of passivity, standing by and doing nothing. If you look at the whole account of Genesis chapter three, yes, Eve was tempted, she, she did whatever, but don't you dare dog on the women and, and, and ignore the fact that Adam was standing there the whole time, if you keep reading, and he did nothing. He didn't step in, he didn't tell the snake to shut up. No, he was passive. 
And I think that a lot of times there are a bunch of guys, they're not bad guys, but it's just that we hang by the ships when we should be leading the fight. That's why Deborah, when she's singing here, and, and, and Deborah and Barak in chapter five, they say, when, when the leaders are leading, we praise the Lord. And guys, I just wanna say, man, that, that God has given us a crucial role to play within our families. And we should step up. We, we should lead. I don't know if you've seen this graph. Guys, show this graph up on the, the screen. It's the influence of parents attending church on the faith of their children. If neither parent attends, 6% of, the, of, of kids will, will show up. If the mom attends, 15%. By the way, I just want to pause. That actually is a, is a great thing. And, and so if you are here and you're a mom or you're a single lady or whatever, I don't want you to look at this like, man, I'm not making a difference. You are making a difference. We affirm you. We stand with you. Listen, you are in this fight. There's some of you, you don't have a, a Christian spouse. Man, my hat is off to you. You live for Jesus, you lead for Jesus, you love your kids for Jesus, and you, let, you just watch what Jesus is gonna do. So this is not a slight in, in any way. But there's something powerful, guys. When, when dad attends a church, 55% of children will remain faithful to God. But look at that number when mom and dad are saying we're in this fight together. 72% of the next generation say, we're in this too. Guys, a few years ago, we did this Bible study. Uh, the guy that taught it was Robert Lewis. And he, talked, he was talking to, to guys. And he said that, that, that when you look at Adam's sin in Genesis chapter 3, there were actually four, four parts to this. First of all, he fell into passivity. He disregarded his responsibility to his wife. He abandoned his servant leadership to step up, and he, and, and he just sought the immediate, the temporary, the easy thing to do, which was to do nothing. But Paul, I love what Paul does. He redeems, he talks about the first Adam and the second Adam, and Romans also in 1 Corinthians. And, 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 and when we look at the second Adam, Christ, what did Christ do? He actually turned everything upside down. It says that Jesus reject, we, we see that Jesus rejected passivity, that he accepted responsibility. He chose to lead courageously. He expected the greater reward. And I, I think there's something here, guys. Man, we're, we're called to follow Jesus, not follow Adam. There's a reason we're not called, we're not called to, to, to mimic Adam. We're called to follow Jesus. Guys, it is, man, I, I'm not here to dog you. I know it's hard. Like, I am not going to fight. There are times when my wife and I get into an argument, the last thing I want to do uh, two hours later when it's time to go to bed is to pray with my wife. I'm just being honest. It's not easy. But leadership usually isn't easy, guys. And, and, and I, I, I think that there are times that we're like, well, you know, hey, at least I show up to church every once in a while. I try to not do anything immoral or whatever. Sometimes wickedness is not necessarily what, uh, what, uh, what you do. It's sometimes wickedness is what you don't do. And what we're also going to see if we, if we continue on in, in reading in Judges chapter 5 is doing nothing when something has to be done has a price. Doing nothing when something has to be done has a price. There's this interesting contrast in verses 23 and 24, when it, and it's talking about this whole thing. 
It's talking about a specific city that did not come out to fight. They were invited to fight. And, and, and there's a curse given. Curse, uh, morose, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of, of tent-dwelling women. Most blessed. And then it details what she did. And it doesn't say that, that, the, that the inhabitants of, of Moroz did anything bad. It doesn't say, you know, they hung back, smoked dope, and, and raided the tents of everybody that had left to fight. No, it doesn't say that. It just says they did nothing. And God cursed their inactivity. And I think that there are times that we're like, well, you know, I just, I, I don't want to make any waves. It's a lot easier for me to just stay in the back. And guys, I'm, this is men and women. This is all of us. God has called us. And when he has called us, we follow. Sitting on the sidelines not only robs us of rewards, there are times that, that it, it brings us under a curse. And what we see is the, the inhabitants of Meroz, they're, they're, they're aligning themselves with their Canaanite neighbors, staying home. When, when this jail, who's a non-Israelite, she aligns herself with God, because it's the right thing to do, but she gets the blessing. And, and I want to tell you, there are times that, that we do things, and, and there are, I hit this last week, there are natural consequences to sin. There are natural consequences to doing the same thing. Every choice and decision we make has a natural consequence. Even beyond the moral thing, you buy a car, you choose between two cars, based on what car you go with, there are gonna be natural consequences. There just are. And I'm not gonna tell you which car to buy, which not to buy, I do have some opinions about that, but I think there are a lot of times we're like, oh man, you know, uh, God must hate me. No, he doesn't hate you. You're just going through stuff that's the natural consequence of, of either sitting by and doing nothing or doing the wrong thing. Doing nothing when something has to be done has a price. And I, man, I wish I could spend time there. I gotta keep moving. Let, let, let me close with this. What, we're also gonna, what we also see from this account from Judges chapter four and Judges chapter five is this. One day, perfect justice will be served. One day, perfect justice will be served. I want you to look at the end of, of Judges chapter five. Look at the end of Judges chapter five, beginning in verse 28. Um, Deborah and Bar uh, Barak, as they're singing the song, they're imagining Sisera's mom worried about what's taking Sisera, the bad dude, what was taking him so long to get home. She's like, you know, you know, did something bad happen? And so all the princesses in King Jabin's kingdom are like, oh, no, listen, we know Cecil's going to win. He always wins. They're probably dividing all of the spoil because they, they've got so much stuff. They're, they're probably still raping all the women. And you're like, that is not in there. Yeah, look at verse 30. There's a womb or two for every man. What do you think that's talking about? This, that's what it's talking about. Meanwhile, Sisera is in a tent being killed by a woman. <laughs> Perfect justice is being served. A guy who spends his life oppressing abuses is part of the lie. He, he's brought down. I love this. I love this. And you know what? Did you know Israel, they, they love these stories of God's deliverance. It's kind of, when, when, when they hear one of these stories, it's like me, anytime I eat a good steak. My, my family says, Dad, you're so weird. You're enjoying your food too loud. Because when I'm eating something good, I'm like, oh, man, this is good. Oh, man, I love this. I'm like, Dad, like, that's kind of creepy. Quit, and quit, quit. I, I, I just, I like, listen, when, when these, these stories are read, they're like, this is good. This is amazing. They're like, yes, God wins. And you know why they loved hearing these stories? It's the reason you and I love going to movies where the good guy wins. 
Because we don't always see the good guy win. I hate going to a movie where the bad guy wins. Like, you just wasted my time and my money. That'll preach right there. I just like, dude, what's up with that? I don't need to cry at the end of a movie. Literally, I want to walk out like, yeah, like top gun. Like, man, let's go. Let's go. That's just my kind of thing. And so like when they would hear this, like, this is it. And the reason why that mattered is because we don't always see justice serve like this. We don't always, we don't see every story having a perfect ending. Not every murderer, not every sexual predator, not every thief, not every person who has torn your family apart. We don't always see the justice in this life. We often see the guilty go unpunished, but that does not mean the discussion is over. One day, God is going to settle all of his debts. One day, justice will be served. That is awesome. And that's why we read this and we're like, come on. This is amazing. And what I think is, is this story, like all, all the stories in Judges, in some way are foreshadowing of what's going to take him when, when Jesus shows up. When Jesus showed up, it was as unexpected as J.L., you know, this, this woman in the middle of nowhere killing a mighty commander. Nobody saw, that, saw Jesus as being that person. They thought he was weak, and yet, what did he do? He slew the enemy by surprise. Oh, look, the cross, that's gonna end the game. Put Jesus on a cross. Are you kidding me? He turned the cross upside down. An instrument of death now is an instrument of victory. He was pierced for our iniquities on the cross. When they put him in the grave, it's over. He's under the grip of death, but his great power shattered it. I like it, Matthew 28 says literally there was an earthquake as the awesome power of God raised him back to life. In Christ, oppression is ended. Justice is restored in Christ. And one day he's coming back and it's gonna happen. It's going to happen. And so that's why we read and we celebrate when the good guy wins because it points us to the fact that though we don't see it here, we don't experience it now. Justice is going to take place. Paul wrote... This, for those of you that are, hey, wait, hold on a second. I kind of like the judge's way of handling things. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if you're thinking about getting some tent pegs and going out and nailing some heads to the ground, that's not your place. The cross has changed everything. The cross reminds me that all wrongs are gonna be righted, not through me, but through Jesus. But I would also say this. It also reminds me that all the wrongs done by me personally were taken by Jesus. He, I gotta come back, man. He was pierced for our iniquities. Literally, he took the tent peg for you and for me. The cross changes everything. And I'm gonna leave you with this. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, the cross and the hope of the final judgment of Christ tells me this. Every sin will either be paid for in hell or will be paid for through what Christ did on the cross. Every sin. One day, justice will be served. And guys, here's the deal, man. The, the reason I preach and I go through, so you gotta know, man, I want more than anything for people to know Jesus. I want more than anything 
For those of you that, that maybe you're here today and you have been a perpetrator of injustice, oh, I call on you, listen, today is the day of salvation. Repent and make restitution. Make right your wrongs. But I also want to call to, to those of you that, that you have been wounded and, and you've been hurt and the anger obsesses you. It, like, like you can't get past it. You have to let it go. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The day is coming. Until then, hold on. Trust Jesus. That's all that matters. We can even forgive, not because Things have been made right. Forgiveness is nothing more than, first of all, us trusting God to handle it and saying, I can let go. I'm forgiving. I'm letting go of this. I'm going to let God handle this. Let go if that's you. Oh, but come to Jesus. He is our hope. And Father, as we close this service today, I'm so thankful for what we can learn even from a crazy story like this. Lord, I'm thankful for the, the incredible women whom you have, you have used to speak into my life, to challenge many here. Dear God, would you use them for your glory and your honor? Dear God, I thank you for the men that have stood up, that have, that, that have given me an example of what it looks like to, to, to love their wife well, to, to, to lead their kids well, to, to stand up for Jesus. Dear God, I pray that you would use them and may we see more men and women stand up and embrace what we've been called to. But God, I also pray for those who are running. God, may you arrest them. May they come to you. May they trust you. Save them, I pray. I pray for those that have been hurt, that, that are so filled with anger and hurt and, and all of that because of what they've experienced. And it is wrong. God, I'm praying that they would trust you with vengeance. Dear God, may we hold on to this fact that one day perfect justice will be served. But it's not going to be us that does this. It's going to be you. So God, for the good work that you are doing here, for the good work that you're gonna to continue to do in and through your church, we thank you for this. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You're dismissed. Stop by, get some info on the annual business meeting. We'll see you next week.